Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3. I love how this is titled, True Happiness. Happy are those who reject the advice of evil people, who do not follow the example of sinners, or join those who have no use for God. Instead, they find joy in obeying the law of the Lord, and they study it day and night. They are like trees that grow beside a stream, that bear fruit at the right time and whose leaves do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Just remain standing. Yeah, Father, I just thank you for Clint. Um, I lift him and his uh, wife, Jamie, and his daughters up to you, God. Uh, we lift the Well Church up to you today as well, God. And we just pray, um, yeah, that there would just be something of your word that would go deep inside us today as Clint shares. And so we just, uh, he is welcome here. We just pray, Holy Spirit, you continue to move as we listen and receive in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, yeah, what a tremendous joy and privilege it is to be with you. And I got to spend some time with uh, some, of, some of the leaders, uh, some of your leaders last night and bring you greetings, first off, from your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, down in Ototahi at Worshipping at the Well this morning. And uh, they yeah, send their love and greetings. I've been getting a few text messages and uh, from from different folks there, and um, and just thrilled to be with you. It's, it is a real honor and joy, and you know, it, it doesn't sound like 18 months, doesn't sound like we've known each other all that long, but it feels like um, we know each other far more deeply than time would, you know, constitute, if that makes sense. Um, uh, Nick has become uh, like more than a friend, he's become like a brother to me, um, and is a real gift to me. You're, you're so fortunate, church. I hope you realize how fortunate you are to have pastors like Nick and Amy. Um, they're incredible, incredible people with a deep heart for the Lord and a deep love for you. One of the things I, I, you know, I want you to know is that you know, we've spent quite a bit of time together and we've shared quite deeply, lots of times praying for each other and in ministry times together. And uh, one of the things Nick's regularly talking about is his heart and his love for you, his church, Korimako. Um, he carries you in his heart. Anytime we're together, he'll be bragging on you guys, you know, like kind of t- talking about how amazing you are. And, and, uh, and, and so just know that um, your pastor's hearts are for you and for this church and believing for what God wants to do. And we, we, get, we get the benefit of kind of hearing some of that. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a real joy to be with you this morning. Um, as Nick mentioned, I'm, you know, from Christchurch, but I'm not actually originally from New Zealand. I grew up in Australia, Queenslander. Yes, come on. Uh, <laughs> married to an American, and so here's a wee photo of my family. This is my wife, Jamie, here. And then we have two daughters, Evie and Iris. Evie is 16 in year 11, and Iris is 13 in year 8. Um, and so uh, this, is, this is my family who I leave behind, but who I love dearly. And, um, and uh, they, you know, they send their greetings as well. Um, but it's, uh, it's a real joy to be with you this morning and to bring a message. I understand uh, you've been in this series really looking at rhythms of grace uh, rhythms of grace. What are these practices that we can live into in order to become more faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Um, really, that's the whole aim. That's the whole goal. And I love the way, you know, I've, I've been t- trying to follow along on the podcast and listening through the series. And man, you've got some gifted teachers here, you know, between Nick and Amy and Sam. I think you did a message in the mix there or... 
maybe. I don't know if it's part of the series. Maybe it was a different one or something. But I saw your name in the list. I'm like, man, you got some good, you are, you are blessed church, amen, um, with some great communicators, great teaching, and I've been blessed just listening along. And I love that the heart behind all of this, remember, through all these different practices of, you know, solitude or fasting or prayer or, you know, Sabbath, whatever they might be, remember, they're not, they're not an end in and of themselves. They're not the goal to be able to do these things and become really good at doing them so you can give yourself like, you know, extra kudo points in heaven or something like that. That's not the way it works, you know. It's not like we're racking up, you know, uh, scores, in, scores in heaven. No, these, the end of these things is to help us become more like Jesus. That our lives begin to look increasingly like He does. Like, like Jesus, like if, if, if actually Jesus was to live in your skin, on your street, in your house, you know, and, and if Jesus was to walk in your, in your shoes, you know, that's, that's the goal of these things. And that like, like, like we've talked, you know, like Nick and Amy have taught through this series, these practices really are like a trellis. They're a structure for our lives that support the flourishing and support the growth and the maturing in Christ. And Scripture today is one of those that is exactly in that same vein. Now, maybe some of you are coming in this morning and you're like, oh, really? This is going to be one of those messages, isn't it, Clint? I can tell already, you know. You've got to read my Bible, got to pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that since, you know, maybe for some of you, you're like, you've heard that for years and years and years. And, 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 and let me just acknowledge up front, like for a lot of people, talking about the practice of Scripture immersion is the way that I like to talk about it. Uh, that's kind of my language framing around it. That when it comes to talking about Scripture immersion, it, it often carries loads of guilt and shame for people. Or maybe it's just me. Uh, I see Nick's nodding, but maybe, no, maybe it's just me. Uh, you know, that actually, you know, because it's one of those that regularly, if I was to ask, you know, if we were to sit down and have a coffee and have a yarn, get to know each other, and you, 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 you know, learned to, or decided you'd trust me enough to be open and vulnerable, and I was to say, well, tell me, what does it look like for you in terms of how is your life immersed in God's Word? In the scriptures, tell me what's your what's your what's your daily intake of God's word look like? And if you were honest enough, you know probably the default answer that I've heard over twenty some years in ministry is, "Oh, not what it should be." Is usually where it starts, you know. <laughs> oh, it's not what it should be. Uh, not what I'd like it to be, right? And, and and usually that's kind of you know covered over with layers of guilt and shame. So let me just stay up front this morning, while we're talking about this. Remember. Reading the Bible all the time is not the goal. Knowing the Bible in and out, that's not the goal. The Scripture is, yes, authoritative. Yes, it's inspired. Yes, it's God's Word. It's all these things. But it's ultimately for the purpose of helping us become more like Jesus. Remember, that's the goal of it, that it would reveal truth for us, that it would be life for us, that it would be, you know, Jesus actually talks about it as food for us, like the sacrament that we've just received in communion, that, that, that actually it would feed us and strength. But, but I, I know that for a lot of people, we struggle with it. And part of the reason why um, it feels so hard and we get, you know, we struggle with reading, reading God's Word is, is that it's just so strange at times, Right? Like you get in there and you start reading this and like, no one talks like this. Like, what is this? What does this actually mean? And part of the strangeness is, is, um, is, is, is challenging, right? Because it's written so far removed from our context. 
different language, different culture, different historical, you know, frame, and, you know, it's like so far removed from us, you know, generations, like thousands of years removed from us, years and years and years, so far away that, that it feels like it's really difficult to understand, and it's really easy for us to assume, because it's difficult to understand, oh, this has no bearing on my life today. Oh, this doesn't speak to my situation. Oh, this doesn't... But the, I hope by the end of today, you'll, you'll kind of realize that actually, that's a lie from one who's trying to keep you from this book, uh, actually. That's a lie from the pit of hell, um, that actually, it's, um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's not helping you live into the life, because the truth is, this is God's Word. And in John chapter 4, our story is, uh, our, our church is named The Well, which is named after that story in John chapter 4, where Jesus comes and has this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well outside of a village. You, you know the story. Uh, he has this profound encounter. The woman um, recognizes him, comes awakened to the truth of who Jesus really is. It's this story of going, oh, she recognizes him first as she just acknowledges him as like, sir, you know, is the, is the original, you know, she lord as like like sir it's just kind of an honorary you know thing but if you track through the story and just look at the titles that are ascribed to jesus through that story there's this growing awareness to the truth of who jesus really is so she moves from just sir or lord to then oh no you're you're a rabbi you're a teacher to then oh you're you must be a prophet and they get into the story of worship and spirit and truth and you know jerusalem and samaria you know all these in and ins and outs they start in this theological conversation by the end of the story it tells us that people from her entire village recognize that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. So it went from just a sir to Son of God journey. And in the midst of that, the disciples, they're the ones, they missed it all because they went into town to buy food, to go get lunch. They're more concerned with lunch than the person that Jesus had in, in his heart and mind. And so they go get lunch. They come back and they're like, here, eat something, you know, Rabbi, eat something. And, uh, and he says, no, I have food you know not of. I have food you know not of. What's the food that he knows? That, that, that he says, to do the will of the Father is what he says. That's the food that nourishes our souls, that feeds us. And, and Jesus talks about it over and over and over again in, in different passages throughout John's gospel in particular, uh, where he talks about that. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, let's go back to the text. You know, we, we started in with um, Psalm 1. I love this psalm. This is one of my all-time favorite psalms. I love it because here's the thing. I think it paints a vision for our lives. This is God's desire and His heart, His intent for your life and for mine. And so the whole psalm reads, blessed is the one, or, or happy is the one who, who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. Now, law there, we often get like kind of hung up on that, but law literally was just a reference to the Scriptures. You know, in particular, it would be, it would be like the, the, the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. That was usually the way, you know, so in the, in the, oftentimes you'll hear in the Bible, they'll refer to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets or the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's because they're trying to get Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in as well. You know, but, uh, but basically, it's the law and the prophets was a way of talking about the Old Testament. So that's what's going on here. Basically, they're talking about the Scriptures as they knew it at that point. The one who meditates on God's Word uh, is the one who uh, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
And I love that this paints a picture of a way of life. You notice the, the, um, you know, the, in verse 1 there, the, the, tr- the transition, the way of life, the one who does not, in fact, it talks about the wicked over here, the chaff. In verse 1, it talks about what the way of the wicked looks like. They go from walking in step with the wicked to stopping walking and standing. You see that? In the way of sinners take. Or then they get comfortable and they sit down. <laughs> so they go from walking to standing to sitting. That's a way of life, friends, that we're talking about. You see it? This is a way of life, a way of... Instead, the way of Jesus is those whose delight is in the Lord, the in delights in God's Word, and who meditates on His law day and night. Friends, this is God's desire, is that for you and I, we would be people who find God's Word as so life-giving that we become like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, that whatever we do, in, 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 and whose leaf doesn't wither, and, and whatever we do in terms of kingdom terms, does not, uh, will, will always prosper, right? That's God's desire. That's His intent. That's what it means to follow after Jesus. He knows best. He knows the way of life. He knows all these things. And so He invites us to that. So we, here's, the, here's the thing though. We read that and we go, yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I need to read the Bible. The trouble is when it comes to reading, we, we often think we've been, we've been so conditioned in a way of reading. You know this? That's actually unhelpful, I think, when it comes to following Jesus. When it, and when it comes to the Scriptures, we've been conditioned, think about it, like all of training at school in learning how to read, what are you learning to, to read? Like you, basically when you're learning to read, you're learning to look for the facts, synthesize the information, right? You're reading for information, that's, that's why you're reading. Or you get into a good novel just to get lost and entertained, Neither of these approaches, entertainment or information, are the way to approach the Scriptures. And nor is it what Psalm 1 points us to. Here's the thing. In Psalm 1, this word, who meditates, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law uh, day and night. That same word in the Hebrew is the word Hagar. Hagar. Here you go. That's what it looks like. Hagar. I know you all want to say it. It's a fun word to say, right? You want to try it out? Here we go. Hagar. Hagar. It's this, it's this word that's, that's, you know, for us, we think, you know, meditate. We think like, oh, sitting in a church in silence, Bible open, you know, it's still, it's calm, you know, that kind of thing. It's actually not at all like a helpful uh, translation, I don't think. The word Hagar is used, um, and is translated, it's oftentimes in the English translation translated into meditate, but actually we get a couple of glimpses into what it actually means in a couple of different passages. Like in, um, in Isaiah 31 verse 4, where it talks about as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. Growls over its prey. It growls or to meditates. You know, it's this, it's this idea of, um, you know, on my bed, uh, in, in Psalm 63, it says, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, or I meditate on you through the watches of the night. It's that kind of um, like constantly going over, and, and sadly, I think meditate's just too tame of a word. Hagar is that of a, a dog with a bone. 
You, you, you know, Eugene Peterson tells this story in the beginning of his book um, called Eat This Book. He tells the story of, of he had a dog and they lived in Montana, um, you know, out in the in beautiful place. And his dog would often go off and find some kind of animal carcass that had been killed somewhere out there and come home with a rib bone or whatever. And he would be, you know, like prancing all around the yard, showing off his, you know, prize and his reward. And everyone would be cheering. Yeah, good on you. Good dog. You know, good boy. Whatnot. And then after, you know, just a few minutes of doing that, the dog would just kind of like slink away to a you know nice little shady spot and settle in and go to work on his bone right just chewing and gnawing on and licking and savoring and delighting and he said as he did you'd get this kind of low growl going on as he's get you know what I'm talking about it's the kind of thing when you tuck into a really good meal when you're really really hungry and you're just like oh yeah you know what I mean? That low growl. It's like, you know what I'm talking about. This is, this is the kind of like savoring and delighting in God's Word. It's a different way of reading, friends, than just looking for information to try and get the facts. You see it? This is the invitation that we would be like so just delighting in and, and savoring and anticipating that, that kind of mouth-watering, soul-energizing, uh, you know, that... that um, morsel of, of food or the words of God where we go, oh, you know, with the psalmist we can say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what I mean? It's a different way of reading. It's a totally different invitation. And, 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 uh, and so Eugene Peterson, he wrote, he wrote this book based, it was called Eat This Book, we'll get to it in a minute, but it's based on this idea even in Revelation 10, where John is, gets this vision and, and, and he, get, he goes, so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. This idea of eating God's Word is closer to what I think the kind of reading that would fuel us to become increasingly like Jesus. He says, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it'll be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And it's this idea that actually God's people have always held the Scriptures in high regard. And I think part of the reason why is that... um, because of this. Because when we eat, when we savor, when we gnaw on, when we chew, when we, you know, that, that hagar, the Word of God, that, that, that actually, that, that, that does something in us. We take the God's Word into us and it nourishes and fuel, feeds our, our souls. That it actually, it, it gets into our, our, our you know, not not just our digestive system, but it gets through our whole lives and it works out in loving acts and kindness to others. It works its way out in the words and the acts that Jesus might do if He was living in your skin. You see it? This is God's intent. This is His desire. And, and, and if we get the, the Scripture into us, it's a, it's a call to read in this whole new way. Um, the Scriptures have always been honored and held in high regard. You know, it's the number one best-selling book year on year on year on year. Anyone who does like a best-sellers list of books that sold in any given year, they just exclude the Bible offhand because it just far outstrips any and every other book that's ever been sold in any given year, right? It just way far and above. It is, it is far and away the most honored, treasured uh, little, little gift. And, 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 and the Bible attests to that as well. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible is actually an acrostic poem. Do you, are you aware of this? 
It's, it's an acrostic poem where each stanza of Psalm 119 begins with the, basically works through the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet where it begins with each letter, like, like, like we would say A, B, C, D. Each stanza begins with um, the first letter, you know, the, works through the Hebrew alphabet. That's why it's so long, because they wrote a whole stanza. And the whole purpose of Psalm 119 is honoring God's Word. What a treasure it is to us, how life-giving it is. So the longest chapter in the Bible is devoted to upholding and honoring God's Word. Uh, and, and, and so, Jesus, though, we, let's, get to the, let's get to the New Testament, because you go, oh, that's lots of Old Testament there, Clinton, talking Hebrew and Hagar, and, you know, what, is this, what does Jesus actually have to say? Well, Jesus invites uh, His disciples into this kind of reading of God's Word, to Hagar, to chew on and gnaw down and savor and delight in. Jesus, I think, invites us too. You know, He says, when the Spirit, in John chapter six, uh, 16, He says, when the Spirit of truth, I think I've got this on the slide, here we go, yep. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, and He will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is this? Uh, Jesus is talking about the, the Holy Spirit. Um, as the Holy Spirit schools us increasingly, the Spirit of truth, He will guide you into all the truth. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is, again, Jesus is referring specifically to the Scriptures here as a source of truth. And then, uh, and, and Eugene Peterson picks up and develops on this and saying, this is a school of reading. He says, um, all writing that comes out of this school, the school of the Holy Spirit, he says, anticipates this kind of reading. It's a participatory reading, receiving the words in such a way that they become interior to our lives, the rhythms and images becoming practices of prayer, acts of obedience, ways of love. Isn't that great? That participatory. See, when we get words and, uh, and, and, and that, that are spoken to us or written to us under this metaphor of eating, um, words to be freely taken in, to be tasted, to be chewed and, and savored and swallowed, that, that they have this different effect on us than oftentimes we, we often treat words as when we're reading them on, you know, like on the outside. And Because when, when we're reading words on the outside, they come to us usually as just information. Where we, where we go, and, and, but I think information reduces words down to like commodities almost that we can use. And when we, we take this utilitarian approach to, to the words and we just use them, you know, they're removed from the real context uh, of all that God has in mind. And, and when, we, when we reduce it down to that, um, it reduces actually those that we're speaking to, to actual commodities as well. And God has something so much more in mind that actually His Word would flow out and be life. Um, and, so that, and so Peterson goes on to say, reading is this immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated, or by that, taken into our soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight. Picture that dog, you know, like low growl, you know, going, going at it on his bone, you know. Uh, words of men and women long dead or separated by miles and or years come off the page and enter our lives freshly and precisely, isn't that well said? Conveying truth and beauty and goodness, words that God's Spirit has used and uses to breathe life into our souls. Who's had that experience ever when you're reading the Scriptures and the Spirit just alivens the Word? And it's like they, these words jump off the page and they come alive to you in a whole new way, right? Your experience of that is not uncommon. Turns out, 
It's one of God's favorite ways to communicate to us, freshly and precisely, His Word. That's why, that's why I think the whole irrelevancy question around the Bible is actually, I think it's a lie. And I just want to uncover that this morning and, and call it what it is, because no, God continues to speak to us at the right time and in the right way, using the right words that hit just for us and they come alive. They, and, you know, like the week before, you might have read the exact same passage and just kind of blow, blow past it. It doesn't mean as much. It's not as significant. But then in that moment, it's like, oh, the Word comes alive and God says, this is my Word for you today. And this is the way that God, God uses it. It says, this scripture text, in the course of revealing God, pulls us into the revelation and welcomes us as participants in it. Um, and so what Peterson wants to call attention to is that the Bible, all of it, is livable. Livable. It's to be lived and to, to be participated. That, that actually it's the text for living our very lives. It reveals this God-created God-ordered, God-blessed world in which we find ourselves at home and whole. So, why does all this matter though? You know, get to the relevancy of this, um, oh, here we go, you know, the New Testament also, other, it's not just Jesus, but the rest of the New Testament. We get these um, uh, other New Testament writers who attest to uh, God's Word. You know, in, in Hebrews 4, maybe you've heard this one before, it says, the Word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces or penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's that idea of freshly and precisely, you know, that, that Peterson kind of picks up, I think. This is the way that God's Word works and it kind of lands in our lives. Um, and so it shows up, you know, so Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament attests to the value of God's Word here. Um, Paul gives this exhortation to Timothy, some of his final words to Timothy around, and God's Word is central in all of this. He says, you, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life. You see there, Paul saying, hey, you've seen my way of life. You've seen my practices, my rhythms of grace that I've lived into, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and these other places, uh, you know, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ. Anyone? Sign me up. I'm in. Uh, you know, who will be persecuted, he says, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, being deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, church, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this is the famous one we often talk about when it comes to the scriptures, right? All scripture is God-breathed, God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. That's probably the best phrase for like rhythms of grace and the practices that we're talking about. It's, it's a training program. It's a training in righteousness, a training in becoming Christ-like so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's the hope and prayer for each and every one of us as we mature in Christ, that you'd be thoroughly equipped, ready for, for His, His service and ready to serve uh, for Him. 
So, okay, the Scriptures talk all about it, but it still feels like it's a, a distant, in a lot of ways, distant reality. Why does this matter so much for us to immerse ourselves in God's Word? And I use the word immerse intentionally. Let me tell you why. Um, because I think oftentimes when it comes to the practice of Scripture, it gets talked about as Scripture reading or Bible study or all these different ways, or, you know, or memorization. And, and I think immersion, in my mind, gets me closer to the hagarness of what it takes to read God's Word and to be in it and to, to immerse, you know, my mind and my heart and my soul and my spirit regularly and consistently in God's Word, that it would be reorienting and reframing me to His truth uh, away from all these other things. And uh, part of the reason why I think it really matters is uh, it speaks to all of life, right? The Scriptures, they have something to say about just about any and every human experience there is. It speaks to the deepest lows. And God says, He is near to the brokenhearted. That's the words of Scripture. I didn't I'm not just saying that. That's actually written in the Scriptures. That's where I picked it up. You know what I mean? He's close to the brokenhearted. You know? So when you are experiencing pain, if if you're in suffering, if you're in hardship and heartache, if you're in despair, the Scriptures speak to that. In fact, they speak to it quite a lot. They give us a language for how to come to God and how to, how to enter into worship and how to come to God's people in those times when we're really low, right? It, it gives us a language in terms of how to orient all that. It teaches us lament. It teaches... It also, at the far end of the spectrum, it teaches us how to celebrate and how, when we're in times of joy and rejoicing and, and, and it teaches us how to give thanks and be... And, you know, like these, think about the language of Scripture. It covers the full spectrum. If you're feeling like a little bit like unsure or uncertain... There are loads of texts throughout God's Word through the Bible that speak to how to look to God and how to come to God. It speaks to those moments of confusion when you're seeking direction, when you're seeking wisdom. When you, it talks about how to, how to engage in community, how to practice in ministry. It talks to, like, if you're looking for purpose in your life, if you, talk, you name it, just about any and every situation of life is covered. I think that's why this book has been so honored and so treasured for so long. Because it's deeply human. It's deeply human, but also incredibly transcendent and divine, right? It speaks to a reality that's not just human, but beyond human as well, you know? And that's why it's so powerful. It speaks to every aspect of human life. Um, I think the second thing that it, that it speaks to is it gives us, it helps us resist temptation. You know, where, like I said, the lie of the enemy is to convince us that this book's irrelevant for 2023 here in Aotearoa. We don't need it. You know, these are ancient words from a world from from a, from a worldview and a, and a cultural context that's far removed from here, and so we don't actually need it. This isn't going to help us, right? Um, and and I I just think that's that's a lie from the the pit, and and God's word helps us resist the temptation to believe such lies. It also helps us to resist temptation in more practical ways. You know, just last week, I think, Nick, you were talking out of Matthew 4, where Jesus, right before He launched, you know, baptized and launched His, uh, right after His baptism, He's led into the wilderness. And right before, uh, this is all His testing ground, where He was tested by the devil before He began His public ministry. And, and three tests, right? What were they? You know, like around being successful and, you know, like the three tests. 
And in each one of those, when Jesus, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, when the, when the devil tests him directly, he responds directly to each temptation and each test with what? God's Word. He quotes Scripture straight back at the enemy. He quotes Scripture straight back. And I don't know about you, but when I've been feeling tempted, or when, I won't use past tense, when I feel tempted, the thing that I experience the greatest point of victory or freedom from that temptation, the thing that sucks the life out of that temptation and the, and the, and the power out of it is when I speak God's Word in counteract of it. You know what I mean? That, honestly, it's, it's a powerful weapon. That's why when, you know, Paul talks about the spiritual armor, put on the full armor of God, you know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, you know, all that kind of stuff, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon in the whole spiritual armor. All the rest of the spiritual armor is all defensive and protective. It's the only offensive one we've got. And I think it's incredibly powerful anytime we're facing temptation. Jesus modeled it for us. I think we do well when we live into that and, 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 um, and, and, and use it, use it. That kind of implies that we need to know it, you know? <laughs> we we kind of need to know it as well. Um, and I think that's really important. For uh, Another thing for me that I've found incredibly uh, powerful is that it anchors us in truth. You know, so that's this third one here. It anchors us in truth. And I think I got this text here. Um, I don't know about you, but I find these days in our world, it's so like, we have so many experts on so many different things. And they're all able to quote amazing research and they've done some really good work and some deep thinking and psychologists and, you know, there's, there's the medical professionals and there's the, you know, like the political advisors and, and, you know, like they've got all these sociological trends and, you know, all this cultural analysis and all this impressive data that's quite convincing a lot of the time. And I don't know about you, but in our cultural milieu, shall we say, I find it at times like... A, just tossing and turning and back and forth and it feels so disorienting and discombobulating. I remember when, when um, uh, I went on a whitewater rafting trip one time. Anyone ever been whitewater rafting? I remember when I went whitewater rafting, the first time ever, we were in West Virginia. So over in America, West Virginia, going down and I fell out. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's one of those where I fell out and I went under and the water's like tossing and turning. It's not just, it's not like it's primarily flowing one way, but it's like also like up and down. And like, I just remember like flipping and like, I was so disoriented. And I remember when I finally managed to reach out and grab a rock, you know, see how these like these rocks, I managed to grab hold of a rock and it just allowed me to kind of stabilize and stand up, and I could feel the bottom, I could get my feet on the bottom, and the water was still swirling, it was still, you know, all around me, you know, maybe you've experienced it in big surf, you know, or whatnot, you know, when, you know, I grew up on the beach in Queensland, you know, you get, like, absolutely pummeled, and you, you know what I mean, under a, you know, that kind of a discomfort, I, I just feel like in our world today, in our culture, that's kind of the feeling, and a, lot, and a lot of people are feeling that way, and God's Word has this amazing grounding potential, like that rock, when I finally grabbed it in the white water, I was able to stabilize and stand up and look around and get my bearings and get orientated again in order to be able to figure out what am I going to do and how am I going to get... I managed to get, you know, joined back up. You know, they pulled the, the, the rest of the crew, they pulled into a wee eddy just a little further down. So I managed to kind of swim down to them and, and join back up. So 
no no harm no harm no foul but it was it was it was a wee scary moment you know what i mean and i think a lot of people and a lot of christians followers of jesus at the moment in our just our cultural moment has that tossing and turning and back and forth we're just you know all the way through life swirling water and ephesians 4 actually speaks to this um he says then there will be no longer this is this is um right on the heels of the 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 blessing of church and how we as as in church together um uh, grow up in maturity says we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there get this by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming so maturity is being able to anchor ourselves and be grounded in God's word in the truth in God's truth right it says instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ and so that's this is this is I, I find it really helpful in today's day and age and then finally the thing um that I love is that actually it helps fuel ministry. You know what I mean? If you, if you practice a life of immersing yourself in God's Word, reading it and studying it and praying it and reflecting on it and journaling it, you know, like if, you, if you spend a life like actually in God's Word with a steady diet of God's Word, it fuels ministry. It, you'll have, you'll have um, the ability, like it's, it fuels your prayer life. You know, when you when you when you when you're praying with someone, when you like like when you have a word or, or a picture, like some of the words that that I've given and that I've received over the years um, that have stayed with me the longest have been God's word at the right time in the right way. Um, you know, even last night the team was gracious enough to pray over me, and they prayed over me from God's word, from Scripture. Some of your leaders um, that this this is where it flows out, and it's incredible blessing. I had the joy of doing um, the wedding for some some friends of ours that that were some of the first people we met. Um, actually, she was. We hadn't met him yet. When we first moved to Christchurch, she was our neighbor. Uh, her name's Jen, and Jen's not yet a follower of Jesus. But we've been praying for Jen for to come to know Jesus for 11 years now. Um, you know, since we've known her, she's been a great friend of ours. Um, she was, uh, you know, living next door to us, and and then you know, I can't remember how long ago she met this guy Al. Alan Ramsey from Scotland, and Al is a builder, and they, you know, decided they're going to get married, and great, they asked me if I'd do the wedding. Neither uh, Jen or Al are followers of Jesus, like I said, and I was like, yeah, sure, do your wedding, you know, but I have this requirement. (laughs) I have this requirement that for anyone that I marry, um, I insist on doing some premarital preparation with, so we need to do a few sessions, and, and they're like, well, we're not Christian, Clint, so we don't want your pastoral counsel and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, 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 that's all right. We don't have to talk all about spirit. I just believe in marriage, and I want your marriage to have the best chance of success. I want it to last a lifetime. I want to see you starting off on a good foundation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was like, I, I, just, I just want that for you, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, all right, yep, yep. Are we going to talk about sex? You know, like, they just straight into all the awkward things right away. They're like, oh, yeah. Because we're friends, uh, I don't want to, you know, we're going to have to talk about what are we going to talk, you know, and all this, like, they were, they were a bit, they were a bit uh, unsure at first, and uh, finally they gave in, and, you know, it, it, I think, I think, I think they appreciated it in the end, um, but then we got to the wedding, we got to the wedding, and uh, as we're, as we're walking through, uh, they, again, they were like, we don't want to have any kind of spiritual stuff in there, or anything like that, um, so, so, you know. It was, a, it was one of those ceremonies and just respecting their wishes, you know, and trying to be sensitive and all of that. Um, 
I, I said, you know, okay, so do you want me to pray at any point? Do you want me to, no, 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 none of that, none of that, none of that. And I said, well, how about at the end, would you be comfortable with a word of blessing over your marriage? Would that be all right? Um, and, they, and, they, um, and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that might be nice. Um, and so they went for it. So I just used at the end of the message, I used, the, you know, the classic old Numbers chapter 6, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you and, you know, be gracious unto you, all that, you know, just that classic blessing straight from Numbers chapter 6. And can I tell you at the reception after that, it was a small wedding, you know, like a small wedding, about 30, 40 people. No joke, I think I had 10 or 12 people in the reception say, oh, where'd you get the words from that blessing? That was amazing. You know, these are all unchurched people, right? That was amazing. Could I get a copy of that? Can you text it to me? You You know, like honestly, and I'm like, this is the power of God's Word. It fuels ministry, opens opportunity to talk, you know, it's because you're speaking, you know, it's speaking God's heart. It's revealing His heart. It's not this condemning, judging thing. No, God's heart is for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you. He wants to make His face shine. That's the heart of God, right? And you can... you can, you can bless that over anyone and everyone. Anyways, this is just this amazing uh, wee moment that that's, sticks in my mind. So, uh, in, in all of these things, you know, it, it, the, the question comes, well, okay, well, how do, I, how do I practice this? And yes, we could talk all day long about reading the Bible as, a, as an overarching narrative and getting the full narrative arc of the Scriptures, because it is one big story. It's a story of creation and fall, desecration, and then recreation, and the new, you know, and and all that God's doing. And you see this story all throughout the arc of Scripture. And so, I encourage people to read large swaths of Scripture at a time. I think it's a great way to go. You know, for years, I used to read the the Bible in a year, you know, and and go through that kind of thing, um, you know, over and over and again. And, And so, I think as at some point, that should be, you know, something that you, you kind of lean into. So you get the overarching narrative of Scripture. I also love the bite size, the Lectio Divina approach to Scripture, where you take just a verse or a phrase, you know, or a couple of short verses and you read it slowly, that chewing on, that gnawing on, that savoring. You sit in silence with it, you reflect on it, you come back and you read it again, the same words, you know, and you get different flavors start to come out, you know, you get different um, nuances and new fresh insights over time, the longer you sit with it. Um, all of the, like the close attentive reading, you know, the, you know, it wasn't that long ago that actually um, followers of Jesus would read commentaries for fun, Bible commentaries for fun. Um, and I actually think we should start doing some more of it, if I'm honest. Um, I think it's actually a good thing. You think about it, it's, it's the equivalent to, you know, uh, I know, Nick, you love, you love the cricket, eh? I love the cricket. It's like the equivalent of, like, say, after a really good cricket match, where you meet up with your mates, you know, uh, you meet up with your mates and you have a good yarn and you're just unpacking. You're delving into the commentary of the game, right? You're delving into it and you're going through the play-by-play and they, then this happened and oh, what if they had have made this move and what if they brought this bowler on at that point? You know, like you just, you just start kind of going, it's like actual Bible commentaries, it's kind of, that's, that's kind of what they're doing, right? They've read the text and now they're just reflecting on it and they're offering commentary on it and they're like, oh, maybe this is what's happening. You know, in a lot of ways, that's, it's, a, it's a reframing and I hope that, you know, I offer that just as a way of kind of reframing and um, N.T. Wright has a great commentary series called um, 
the Bible for Everyone series. It's really accessible, really easy to read, and it's basically, that's, that's kind of the vibe I get. He brings it into real-life situations. Um, so I'd encourage you to, you know, dig into some commentary. Um, we have more Bible reading help available to us today than ever before in human history. The Bible Project's fantastic. It's all online. It's all free, you know? encourage you, check it out, bibleproject.com, <laughs> that's the website, check it out, it's, it's brilliant, really good stuff by top quality biblical scholars, but really at the heart of it, you know, dig into a reading plan, do it with others, and you know, like just, the heart of this would be, just start, and start where you are, friends, you know, like where I began at the beginning saying, you know, I, I my fear in talking about Scripture and Scripture immersion is that for, for a lot of people, maybe you, um, you just feel guilty and shameful when, like, ah, oh, not, not where I should be. I'm not reading what, as much as I sh- I'd like to. And um, You know what? The grace of God for you today is fresh start. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. He loves you. You don't read the Bible to earn His love. It doesn't change how much He loves you. And so just start. Start where you're at. Find someone to read with, you know, read, read a verse a day. Start there and savor it. Gnaw on that bone. Do the hagar, you know, do some hagar together. Um, and find that savoring, delighting in God's Word. And you'll find, I think, it'll come alive. It'll feed and nourish your soul. I think it'll be a blessing to your family, to your friends. I think you'll see ministry begin to open up in ways that are unexpected. Uh, and so that's my hope and my prayer for each of us, that as we lean into God's Word, again, not as, a, not as an end in and of itself, but as a means to make us increasingly like Jesus, you'll see more and more of His grace and His goodness and His love coming, not only in your own life and nourishing and fueling you and feeding you, but as a blessing to others as well. And so why don't we, um, Nick, Nick might come and lead us in a time of responding to God and um, in prayer, but uh, why don't we stand together and, uh, and just welcome the Holy Spirit and, and take a moment to respond, uh, and I'll pray. I'd love to pray with you and for you as we come to close. Lord, we do thank you for your Word, that your Word is alive and active, and we trust that your Word is speaking even now. We thank you for it. And we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, I just lift off anyone here who's feeling any layer of shame or guilt (laughs) uh, when it comes to the practice of reading God's Word. And I just lift that off in Jesus' name. May it be gone. For anyone who's maybe given into the lie that God's Word is irrelevant, Lord, I, pray, I break that right now in the name of Jesus. May it be gone. And I bless you, Korimako Fano. I bless you to discover the absolute delight of Haga. May you discover the power of God's Word coming alive inside of you, coming alive inside of you, your, your fellowship and your community together as you worship one with another, as you, as you prophesy, as you minister out into the community, as you become a prophetic community that stands for truth.
that is a pillar and an anchor that you be grounded, not tossed and and then back and forth, but you stand up, that you rise up as a community for truth in the most loving and gracious and, and kind way that reflects your character and nature, Lord. So I bless you with that in the name of Jesus.